Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. There's a lot going on in the world. We are going to try and approach some of this discussion about Ukraine-Russian relationships through the lens of Alaska and with the full recognition that, that we're not necessarily like the geopolitical experts on this. Um, Certainly not to the extent that everybody on Twitter is. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And so in, in terms of like setting out the playing field here, <laughs> what what are we... Like, what has your last week been like? What What's happened since last time we talked? You know, it's been really, it's it's been a long week, right? Like, I was writing my column on Friday, and I I think I mentioned that, like, oh, yeah, Lisa Murkowski gave a address on Tuesday that feels like a whole year ago. You know, I've, I think that a lot of this week really has honestly reminded me of the same kind of feelings and, like, emotions I felt after 9-11 and that high school and kind of when I was in high school and there was a sort of build up toward the Iraq war and and all the sort of military activity where it sort of it, it felt fast and monumental and in a lot of ways kind of driven by the egos of a few with like very clear and like the consequences of everything that is sort of this big nebulous sort of like angry sort of like international sort of conflict i guess is sort of we're going to result pretty clearly in some like serious pain and suffering of of regular people and i think that's kind of how i felt this whole week is just watching sort of in 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 horror i guess of lack of a better word of just you know watching feeling kind of helpless about like all all what's going on but also not being able to look away i think Though I think that's sort of like the emotional part of it. The really interesting part is that, you know, we're watching a war unfold in the age of social media where people have cell phones and videos can be taken from the front lines, you know. And videos can be taken from video games. Yeah. I mean, like, there's a lot of weird, like, badly sourced stuff in in the mix. So there's there's the cell phone camera footage of the guy on the street corner, and then there's just someone that wants some attention. Like, there's some weird stuff happening. Yeah, and so there's, you know, the... uh, And I think that's what's really interesting right now. I think it's just important to remember that, you know, so little of what we see online is, like, for sure the right context. You know, I think we've seen several videos where it's like, yeah, the they blew a Russian jet out of the air, and the actual story is that, oh, it's either a video clip from, like, eight years ago or that's actually a Ukrainian jet being shot down. So it's just, I think it's like this really interesting sort of element of it. I think what's in, I, the almost other part of it that I really want to talk about, though, is that conflict, especially around like Iraq and Afghanistan, it was really, you know, filtered through a different lens. You know, there were embedded media, but they didn't have the same kind of access to the front lines and same access that, you know, just regular people with cell phones in a war zone might have. And so, yeah. you know, I, I remember talking a lot in back then about like what we were seeing and whether it was real but i think what we're getting now is this like really unfiltered view of it so yeah some of it might be fake but there's also definitely like videos out there of like just how ghastly war is i think that's like what people like this idea that you know that it's almost like a video game thing where it's like oh there's the you know the ghost is out there you know but it's like these are people that are like dying and and you know seeing their lives and their communities like demolished 
And I think like that is just what's so difficult about it for me right now. And I think, but I think it's important at the same time to be able to have some of these images out there that really cut through like the video game propaganda element of it all. Are you talking about when you say the ghost is out there? Are you talking about the ghost of Kiev? Yes. The uh, the the fabled fighter pilot that is zipping around the skies above the city and blowing up airplanes and using using like janky old technology, but still outdoing everyone. And yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see some of this stuff unpacked. You know, a year from now or two years from now, and see what what was real and what had a grain of truth and what wasn't real. But I think you know stories like that. You're, you're right. They do serve a purpose. They serve to sort of inspire. Um, you know, you see the president of the country in his camo and bulletproof vest out there, you know, with soldiers. And, you know, um, I think those narrative points mean a lot. It's something that we've talked about a lot is like the importance of narrative. Right. And like we've talked about it in the context of Alaska, like who who we are, what we believe. And I think that we're seeing in this war, we're seeing how important narrative is, right? Like, regardless of what's true or not, it's like what people believe motivates them. And so you can feed people lies, and they can believe those lies, and that those lies can motivate them. And you can be inspired by the truth, or you can be inspired by fables and legends. And there's a lot of gradient in between on all that. You know, I see Zelensky, and I'm inspired by him, right? I Like, he's, he's, been offered a chance to leave his country and he's stayed and he's on the ground and he's you know like it, it's it's amazing to to see that and it i think that it lifts everyone else up that like wants that cause to succeed and it's this underdog story and it's this megalomaniacal evil dictator versus a underfunded underground tiny neighbor country and yeah. i think that you know, I think there's a lot in that narrative that that matters, um, and it's what's rallying people from across the world to support them. You know, yeah. there are n- big decisions are being made because of the narrative. Yeah, and I think that I mean, like ultimately, what I see is a lot of push away from conflict, right? You know, I think there's, you know, that's the thing that's so difficult about it, right? Is that you know, I just wrote a piece that is talking about the sort of like alternate reality that is on the right wing side of things. And I think that is what is so complicated right now is that, you know, this is Ukraine and Russia are, you know, far more complicated situations than I think we like to boil them down into in America. You know, I think that's an interesting thing, too, is that, you know, Russia is sort of built up as this like ultra, you know, villain superpower. And yeah, they have nukes, but like, economy is not super great but anyways it's all to say like i've like glanced into the depth of pro-russia like right-wing propaganda and it's like it gets very confusing very quick right if you like try to give any of that sort of stuff like you know there's this whole talk about ukraine being a nazi state and they're you know harming the the it's all this like wild nonsense and it's just yeah why is that convincing to you and it's not convincing at all but it's like confusing though right because it's like yeah we don't i don't really know ukraine super well i've been following ukraine politics for a long time so it's not yeah it's not confusing but it's sort of i don't know what to say about it like you can see how someone might be confused like not you, even confused but like want to buy into it right right like it, well it's just just it, as i want to buy into the idea that of this like you know this russian uh 
uh, warship showed up and these guys told them to go fuck themselves. Like I, you know, that's the yeah. story I want to, I want to buy into. Like I'm, I'm not really doing a lot of vetting of that. That could be wartime propaganda, but I think it's a yeah. great story. Go yeah. fuck yourself, Russian warship. That's a good so, narrative. I think it's, uh, I think that's why I feel so like just sort of weird about it all. The whole conflict, you know, is a, sort of a mirror of what we want to see out of it. Right. I think, you know, for many people, it is a battle of democracy and fairness, you know, against tyrannical authoritarianism. Well, and for some people, it's literally a battle for their home. Yeah. And so, yeah. Right. And that's what it, I think that's what I think is it makes me so feel so uncomfortable about it all, because I think you look at the videos and, and the, the war stories and the legends and stuff. And I worry that, like. You know, you how lose does this... the reality kind of? Well, yeah. And how do you know, how do we move away from conflict here? And I think that, you know, yeah. because I think there those are useful stories for today. But, you know, what happens w when it's we're two weeks into this? Right. And and we're in now we're all into Elden Ring and we're watching video game streams. Right. Like, I think that's I think that's just sort of where it, it's it's sort of this uncomfortable feeling about the bigger picture which is, you know, this is like something so, that could drag on for weeks or months, right? Is that and what you're saying? Are you, are you, you, when you talked about Elden Ring, you're saying that like people will get bored and their attention will shift and all of a sudden a it will be bit. about Marvel movies and not about yeah. what's going on in the world? And I think that's sort of a little my feeling there. And I think a little bit of it is too, is that like, I think, I'm think, I think that the support that Ukraine is receiving right now is really good. I think it's, it's great to see you know, countries being de dedicating, um, you know, military support to the whole situation. But, you know, I just would, I'd much rather just see the, the war be over quicker. I'd rather, you know, I think and I think that's sort of the necessary. I think just making sure whatever sort of plan we're moving forward with here can, like, minimize the conflict, bring it to an end sooner than later and right. minimize the loss of life is like to me. Of, you know, I don't know how we get to there from here. And I think that's maybe just like, you know, this thing is changing. It feels like it's changing every 24 hours right well, now. Well, and that's because and it is. It's like that's, it is, yeah. that's not just a perception. Like if war is wiggly. War can turn on a dime and it can, you know, <clears throat> this accidental thing, this, you know, we accidentally blew up this one thing and it killed this guy. And then now this whole other country is involved, right? We saw that all happen in World War mm -hmm. II. Like the there it's it's going to be really easy for this to escalate and so i think that that's the tension that i'm feeling as i watch it is that a a i have sympathy for the people whose whose homes and cities are being invaded like that's awful but the thing that's like hanging over all of this is that this could spill into a much larger conflict and you know this this could be a multinational uh, you know, a multinational war, right? We can have a world war on our hands here really easily. And there could be uh, a lot of complications that spring from this situation. And it feels like that volatility is, is um, you know, that volatility really draws me to it is because I want to know, while I have sympathy for the people who are there, I also want to know how this is going to impact the rest of the world. Like, is this going to turn into nuclear warfare? Or is this going to turn into, um, you know, jets and planes stationed in Alaska like we've had in the past it's uh yeah. it's a big thing yeah and I think it's interesting too as saying earlier about the it's sort of the mirror to everybody is that right like it, it is sort of it's a very symbolic war in a way like where 
there is, you know, there it, it's a war still. It's not a symbolic war. It's an actual war. But there's yeah. a lot of sim- symbolism to it, right? Because it is sort of this, it's this idea of democracy and a plucky sort of fighter with the backing of like other, you know, the literal backing of several other democracies and going up against, you know, a very clear authoritarian dictatorship, right? right. And, um, and and sort of understanding the forces there and, and seeing just how it has sort of shaped some of the domestic conversations at home. You know, I, I wrote a piece this week about it that was sort of talking about, um, you know, the infatuation by the right of Putin and how it sort of, it's not just, you know, this, I think yeah. there's a sort of easiness to sort of dismiss the connection as, Putin was a guy who just stroked Trump's ego and everyone is still afraid of Trump. But... Well, beyond that, this is tied into Trump's first uh, impeachment trial, right? right. This yeah. is this is the whole like this is Manafort is his is his involvement with Russia and Ukraine and it was um you know Zelensky was the was the president that Trump you know it's all it was all tied into that, right? So this yeah. this is And I think it's not like it's and it's not as purely Trump, I think, is we people might like to d- dismiss it as, right? I think it's, and that's an important thing to keep in mind here is that, like, the Russian involvement in, like, far-right parts of American politics have, have been a a, 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 fa- a feature for, for a long time now. Well, yeah, um, and I, you know, that, I, that's something I've been trying to parse out, too, is, like, is, is this, you know, is, is Russian involvement in, in American politics actually what's going on here, or is it, or, or is this more of just sort of global fascism and and yeah. you know hey you're fascist we're fascists let's all be fascists right <laughs> like like it's kind of a weird uh, chicken and egg thing to know like is are they gravitating towards people with with similar ideas or are they being driven by people with a with a specific agenda I mean I think part of it is part of it I I I think and this is sort of what I struck on is that fascism sort of the model to win at a ballot box that you can't win you know, if you can't, if your policies and, and politics can't win through the normal democratic process, as we saw in 2020, right? Um, then that process must be broken and it must right. be taken apart and <laughs> fixed. And that's yeah. and that's sort of what we're seeing now is we're seeing efforts to, you know, quote unquote, reform elections in a way that makes them less free and less fair and to do things that you know through government are trying to limit the speech of people you you know disagree with right you know yeah. whether it's political stuff or or you know stuff we see in schools right and or, or libraries or you libraries know, like the, and the 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 anchorage library is having its own little thing right now and it's like if we want to go from like the macro level down to the like the super micro level you you can look at the the Anchorage Library right now, they're they're discussing segregating LGBTQ books. And, you know, that kind of idea goes against the very concept of, like, freedom of access to information and and the right to read. Right. It's because they don't like those ideas. Yeah. And I think that's, and you know, like, you're fine to not like ideas, right? Like that's, like, part of our system that is, you know, you're allowed as an individual to not like an idea. You're allowed to... You know, speak out against it with your own words. You're allowed to, uh, you know, not give it platform on your privately owned platforms. But that's the thing is that like government is not supposed to do that, right? That's like the whole sort of foundational element of it. <clears throat> and to, to see like, and these are issues that you know, like we saw with the Oath Keeper stuff too, is that you know if they don't like it, they're you know basically saying, well, we're ready to break the rules in a way that we believe 
is justifiable simply because we don't like the kind of speech you're doing, which is like right. antithetical to like the, the the values of American democracy, right? Yeah, it's a weird hypocrisy. You've got people like David Eastman trying to pass legislation to declare pornography a scourge on humanity or whatever, right? Well, yeah. I don't remember the exact language of his bill, but he has like a an anti-pornography bill, right? And And, you know, at the same time, he's talking about how we can't be policing each other's speech and how everyone's trying to cancel culture him or whatever, right? And it's a it's a weird disconnect between what he's saying and what he's doing. And it's sort of like on one hand, you're you're talking about freedom of expression and freedom of speech, but you're trying to like really tamp it down using government institutions. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and like the 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 end result of that is what we see in Russia where you know peaceful protesters are being whisked off in vans and and also like i am not under any sort of like uh illusion that america is perfect but you know i think that, that to the level at which you know russia you know russia is you know they they basically you know outlawed political opposition in their country this is like stuff that we hear if you listen into you know far right talk radio long enough you'll hear these kinds of ideas that you know they'll say stuff like oh well we don't disagree with you know a democrat or a liberal liberals right to exist but we just disagree with their right to be involved in the political process and it's like well that's not america you know and that's i think that's what is so frustrating right and i think like yeah i'm not <laughs> under the illusions I, that like it's i get you into these perfect, like yeah. i get you into these like ten thousand foot spaces and you, yeah. and and i think that i just wind you up and i i, I what i'd like to do is I'd like to come back down to to Alaska, right? Like I think that there there is a there is an important philosophical discussion I think to be had about yeah. like freedom of expression, but what I want to talk about today is sort of Alaska's relationship to what's going on right now. And so maybe we can start by talking mm-hmm. about how some politicians are talking about it. Like so for example, Jamie Allard. Um she's on the Anchorage Assembly. Um she, she said, was a Nazi license plate sympathizer. Right. And so she says, Baltic countries will be next. Ukraine has always been part of Russia. They are not part of NATO and and is the gateway to Europe. Poland will put up a fight, but the tanks will come in and eventually Poland will lose and the Baltic countries once again will be taken over by Russia. Mark my words, NATO is about to fall apart. President Trump saw this coming. So that's the view from and I'd say that she's a little bit on an island in terms of of um, yes. out, outspoken Alaska politicians. Right. But she's sort of the a vocal far right politician who has some military background and seems to be sort of like, well, definitely sympathetic to Trump and sort of sympathetic to Russia in this in this situation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, At least like and the thing is that it's like kind of parodying. It might not say, you know, I'm cool with everything that's going on right now, but it's parroting a lot of the justification for what's going on right now from Russia. And I think that's what I think is really frustrating is you might see, um, you know, Republicans get all all of a sudden they're really firm on the whole situation. Oh, it's bad. But they're but they're you're seeing these weird sort of around the edges. Well, Putin had to. He was defending himself or, or the Ukraine is a bunch of Nazis. And then so. Or it's, what are we going to do about it? Throw up our hands? Well, it's not yeah. our problem. Like yeah, or 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 Biden's not doing enough on it. And, yeah, at the same time. <laughs> and so um, I think it's I think you know 
I could I could see people trying to look at some of these statements, especially by her, and sort of saying, well, it's not explicitly condoning it, but it certainly is parodying the justification for it. And I think that, you know, is a very revealing, for the very least, kind of how she views the whole situation and, and whose side yeah. sort of, you know, what side's information she's buying into. So another interesting one I thought was, was Governor Dunleavy. And um, he, he actually came out with what I thought was a pretty good statement. He said, while we certainly have disagreements with the Biden administration over domestic energy production policies, today we stand as a unified nation against Russia's invasion of Ukraine and attack on democracy. Uh, Alaska stands ready to support U.S. in efforts to thwart this aggression. And that was, um, I, you know, it was it, he he's notorious for beefing with with Biden, even when there's like nothing to beef about. And he's notorious for just like hating on the federal government. Uh, and it was nice to see, uh, you know, like that's what you want. You want people to sort of snap into alignment when, when it matters and set aside what we already know is petty bullshit. And so. Uh, it was good to see that. The one weird thing about it was that he had actually tweeted a different version of that earlier where he said, Alaska stands ready to support the U.S. in all efforts to thwart this communist aggression. And that's this like loaded language where he's he's saying that like, you know, communist bad, you know, and that's tied into a lot of more of our internal disagreements. And if you look at the way Republicans want to frame like the Black Lives Matter movement or really any opposition they have, they they love to throw the word communist around. Uh, and so it was it was super weird for him to throw that in there when Russia is really not, a you know, by any measure, a communist nation. Yeah. And then um, another one I think is, is really interesting to chew on is U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski put out her uh, address to the legislature on Tuesday. So it was kind of before everything really blew up. And this is kind of the, I think, the preferred sort of centrist, sort of conservative Republican approach, which is, wow, look at all this. We should we should really be getting back to drilling more, mining more, presumably, you know, cutting down more lim- lumber for some reason. I don't know. But it, it's, a, it's a very, like, pro-resource development sort of message. You know, I think the argument is basically like, look at all these countries that are... Are, we're still relying on Russia's energy sources, and now they're in a difficult spot. And this is why we should be doubling down on development here. Right, and and you know, like that's something that like I kind of understand where they're coming from, right? Like, I, how did you feel when you read that? Like, what? You... Yeah, I, yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's the thing is that it, it, you know, just like they always say, you know, Alaska is so important strategically for the world stage. Is like. Okay, now that we're sort of seeing it in action, I guess, like, some of it does make sense. Like, oh, yes, now I am suddenly feeling a little, you know, antsy about living real close to J-Bear, right? You know, a military base here in Anchorage. And, um, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of decent amount of reporting about, you know, Germany's reliance on Russian gas and Russian oil and, and sort of some of the concerns that were, you know, apparently some of those concerns were tied up and why they weren't quick to sign on to the swift banking changes i guess that's some of the reporting i saw and yeah it kind of i mean it makes sense right like you don't necessarily want to be reliant on your enemies for stuff i mean my argument would say be that maybe we shouldn't have so many enemies but uh i mean i think it makes you know there's you can start to see at least the 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 argument here that we should be more domestic about it the the thing is is that you know, there's a reason why we export a lot of the production of rare earth elements to other countries. And I think we're not really 
having a whole lot of discussion about why that is. And it's it just like rare earth elements are really nasty to produce, right? Like get digging up huge mountains and then sifting through them to extract, you know, elements that don't really want to be extracted, like produces a massive amount of waste. And that's like a huge kind of problem that we for a long time have been exporting to other countries. And so the question is, you know, do we want to bring it home? Do we want to um, have that here? Do we want to, you know, build roads across, you know, otherwise pristine wilderness to get to these, you know, mines? And, you know, Governor Dunleavy would say to you, he would say, we need to build the, we need to extract these rare earth minerals in Alaska because we have the the strictest best regulations of of any country in the world and it can be done more responsibly here and then at the same time he'll speak out the other side of his mouth and say we need to roll back all of those regulations yeah <laughs> and so yeah i think that's what is, is sort of frustrating too like just like we sort of are feeling the fog of war about what precisely is going on moment to moment in ukraine it kind of honestly feels like uncertain at home too because the, this whole line about more domestic energy production are coming from the people who love domestic energy production and have always loved it. And so, like, it's hard to necessarily take them to be certain that that's the right message, right? And that's, I think, what is so interesting. And I guess, like, if I want to get, I'm quickly, you know, flying into the, the Don't lower fly back a- into orbit. Let, let me, so <laughs> the thing is about this, like, when they talk about domestic energy production they're talking about fossil fuels and i like i would love for people to to recognize that it's our dependence on fossil fuels that has really put us in this situation right like if we had more hydro if we had more solar if we had more if we had more like sustainable green energy in alaska you know you look at kodiak kodiak's a great example kea the kodiak electric association they're run as a co-op like they're they have got uh they're pretty much energy independent on the island. They've got uh, hydropower. They've got wind turbines. They've got a big flywheel that uh, stores some of their their energy when it's uh, when they have like an abundance that they can oh, t- tap cool. tap into. That. Yeah, when they're not when they're not using it, it's they they have uh, really as, as an island they've they've really embraced this idea of like sustainability. And I think that Alaska could and should do that. Like we should think more about sustainability and we should think more about like you know you know Dunleavy even talked about this in his state of the of the state address but food security right so if there is a crisis how do we shift gears quickly you know how do we instead of instead of being an export economy for salmon how do we turn that into food for people here there there I think there are sort of these like emergency situations that we really aren't prepared for when we talk about like Alaska's dependence on the rest of the world now when we talk about that sort of interdependence and like, you know, whatever globalism, whatever you want to call it. But like the, I think you had a good point when you said maybe we should have fewer enemies. I think that having economies intrinsically linked together means that we have to have fewer enemies. Like if we, if we have a reliance on China for our microchips and we have a reliance on Russia for oil or whatever, those, that's going to make us less likely to get in a fight with them because we need to like preserve that relationship and if they need us for something right so i think the more like intertangled and messy the world is the less likely we are to like blow each other up so it kind of cuts both ways though because we don't you know then when someone is acting bad like are there still repercussions so i think that the you know that's kind of the thing that we need to sort out 
as a as a world, right? As a as a as the planet Earth, as humans of Earth, we need to decide, you know, how how can we ensure justice for everyone on this planet, rather than just how can we ensure justice for people inside of our country? And I think that it's you see, in this case, people are leveraging economic uh, incentives to make that happen. They're talking about taking money away from oligarchs. They're talking about uh, here's here's another tweet I'll, I'll read off, and it's from Representative Don Young, and he says new sirens you know exclamation point like this don young is really don young has just become like 50 years younger okay yeah. i have i've begun drafting the the bringing oligarchs accountability through seizure or boats act to seize any russian yacht commercial vessels uh currently in u.s waters wealthy russian oligarchs shouldn't live lavish lifestyles while putin terrorizes innocent ukrainians so like those kind of economic consequences you know now you have powerful leaders inside that country that have incentive to be like okay wait a second we need to stop this ukraine thing because i want my boat and you know like the more we can rely on those uh sort of polite economic uh weapons rather than on actual guns and missiles the better off i think we all are in in as long as we're not leaning towards authoritarianism or fascism (laughs) and i think it's like it's like living in a small town where everyone kind of relies on each other and you know we know how this works in alaska we we need people's skills and we kind of put up with a little bit of bullshit because we, we we're a community and sometimes that's bad because we protect people we shouldn't and sometimes it's really 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 good because we're a little bit more forgiving and we get along with each other and we try and make things work and so i think that's kind of the complicated scenario we face on the whole and kind of you know, part of this whole sort of conversation too is like you know interconnected world right shouldn't nec- shouldn't mean that we get to export our expenses to another community it doesn't you know i think that's the problem right now is that the way it's set up is that america reaps the massive benefit right from the development of rare earth elements in other countries right you know where we so we get to ruin streams and waterways and land like forever of other areas and benefit from it and so i think to to bring it back home as we're trying to do in the sun is you know, I think it's uh, this week there was a discussion or a decision by the federal government to basically revisit action on the Ambler Road. And and the decision there, so the Ambler Road is like this 200 something mile road that would connect the Ambler Mining District to the road system. And it would cut, you know, east west across the um, kind of the southern Brooks Range area. And the reason they, they withdrew it was that it didn't adequately. Uh, address the concerns of of the tribes that lived in the area or their um, subsistence, you know, activities so with with specific concern to the el or the caribou and the fishing habitat. And like I've been out there, like I, I went out to Alakakit for reporting on the mine, and like they're not wrong. Like this this road would severely impact you know the waterways out there and. Um, there's kind of, you know, made with this promise that, you know, the people of Alakakit, this little river community, would somehow be able to benefit from the economic development of the mine. And then, to me, that's like the biggest issue with it is like this idea that they'd be able to like benefit from the mine while feeling most of the impacts of the mine. You know, it was recognized here as like an injustice because I think that we talk about like this interconnection between it all, right? Like this mine, right? It connects the people of Alakakit and Alatna and Huslia to 
the this apparently to this whole idea of like the the uh, global need for rare earth elements right and like <laughs> does that and without you know with they're not going to benefit from it right and i think that is like part of the conversation here that like at the very least i'm like grateful that we live in a country that we get to have like a fight about this right it's not some like oligarch and his buddy that get to build this road that destroys the you know the habitat that these people have been relying on forever, right? There's at least like some kinds of checks and balances, and like we wouldn't have had it, right? If if um if the if if it were not for the Biden's administration decision to you know roll it back, and so I think that to me is like the uh, that is rewarded. The, I think that's maybe just the story that to me like in Alaska, I've been really feeling this last week outside of Ukraine is that this mine road is is being you know at least has the brakes being put on it right yeah i mean and and that's the interesting thing to bring up because you know you talk about resource development and it it makes me think of these bumper stickers that are like you know if it's you know this car is a product of mining or whatever right the and you know the reality is that all this stuff that we build and make is a decision about how we're going to allocate a limited amount of resources and um you know, increasing amount of environmental damage. And it just like, that's one of the things that's actually set heaviest with me as I watch what's happening in Ukraine is there, you know, these buildings are being blown up. These uh, infrastructure projects are being destroyed. Pipelines are catching on fire. You know, hundreds of, of, of tanks and, and armored vehicles are being destroyed. And all of that production that went into all those ambler roads that went into making those things they're gone now right they they've been destroyed and so you know and some of that stuff can be scrapped and salvaged and recycled but it's really like just a when we think about the environmental footprint of war it's it's that's a real tragedy considering where we are in our in the in terms of like environmental crisis that we're in right and and also the people also there's like the thousands of people's lives have ended in this i don't mean well, to i don't mean to suggest you are you're dismissing that either yeah but, but i i guess what i'm saying is that like those environmental the environmental fall off has consequences on people's lives as well mm-hmm. and so you know you see all these like destroyed and broken things that we've manufactured and that that means something for someone who's having a road put through their village right Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. How would you feel to have your it's like we're the homeland destroyed to build a bunch of tanks that just got blown up on the side of the road? Right. right? Like we're like doozers on Fraggle Rock, where we just like build the thing and then it gets destroyed and then we build it again. And uh, except for it has a huge taxing effect on the planet that we live on. So yeah. Also, dead people not good. I agree with yeah. you. Thank you for pointing that out. I yes. not, I'm not just crying <laughs> for the tanks. I think I've just been maybe, yeah, uh, separately, I've been feeling like just a little, like I've been on social media and it's been tough a little bit lately to be on there as to be, and being a person on the internet. So how do you, how do you navigate? I'm really curious how you navigate what you, what, like how you parse information. So when I get on there and I see something like this ghost of Kiev thing or the go fuck yourself Russian worship or, or the sunflower lady, um, you know, how do you parse those things and decide what is and isn't true and um, what you're going to kind of add to your, I feel like there's like this protected memory bank of, you know, like this is the information that I'm going to keep. And then there's this other outer memory bank of stuff that I've seen that I'm going to dismiss. Um, 
time. I feel like time is usually the biggest element of it. And luckily, right, we have in America a big comfort of, of being able to we have the luxury of time here, right? That we'd be able to be parse these decisions because it doesn't have an immediate, you know, life or death impact for us, right? You know, I think that's the the big thing with all of this is just sort of waiting to see how it unfolds a little bit because you know individually, there's not a lot I'm actually doing that's impacting any of this, right? Really, it feels to me so much more like I'm making actual decisions, but I, I mean, I know I guess I'm not. I'm just here at my house, but I'm, but but it's, but it feels urgent to me to to parse this information and to know what's true and what's not true and i feel like there's an urgency in uh like collectively communicating what is and isn't true and yeah that feels like part of this battle as well yeah i think part of it for me is you know i I think everything gets an asterisk right until until it gets sorted into the true or untrue bin. And I think, too, like right now, you know, we're talking, we started off this episode talking about, you know, these war hero stories is that it is like I appreciate the almost the emotion and sentiment behind it. I don't necessarily like buy any of it as fact, which is I think is like a, a it's an OK thing to do as long as we're like that's how we're approaching it. Right. Like this is a very emotional thing for uh, every, you know, almost everybody involved, right? And to, you know, if the way we can kind of convey and understand the emotion that they're feeling, like, then through these sort of weird stories that we're seeing, then kind of almost so be it, right? Um, you know, I think that what we do know is that there's a lot of people who are being very, you know, brave and heroic about you know, trying to defend their way of life. And, you know, is the ghost of Kiev real? I don't, kind of don't think so. You know, did Snake Island play out exactly how everyone thought? Turns out, no. Like we already know that, like that not that it didn't play out exactly the same as as sort of the initial stories. You know, I've engaged more with, you know, the reporters who are definitely on the ground there. So there's like the Kiev Independent, and that seems to be pretty popular right now. I think that to me reads like there are people running around trying to confirm it. I think their reporting has been good in in the sense of it is it's got a lot of asterisks through it you know it says that we aren't able to confirm this exactly we aren't able to do you know and i think that's kind of how it needs to be i think there's a level of media literacy that is really important in these situations right and i think you look at some social media stuff and it's you know it's the same four clips you know yeah with sort of posted over and over again the the losing side is different each in the same photo, depending on who's putting it out. And I think it's like a fire hose at, on one hand and a trickle on the other, where it's, you know, it's a wave of these sort of heroic stories that fit narratives and then a trickle of, of actual truth in any of it. And yeah, it's weird to what bubbles up. Like it's a, it's a nation of 44 million people. And I feel like I'm seeing videos from 10 of them. Yeah. And I think part of it is, you know, part of it's because a lot of those videos like wouldn't be shown or you know wouldn't make it past the censors because you know war is a horrible horrible thing and you know you don't want to ever have to see what a lot of people are seeing right there and i think no but at the same time you want to know what's happening right right i think there's a value to war reporting i think that there's you know as like as much as people might be offended by it like the fuck that it's the it's what's happening and they need to know yeah i mean i i 100 percent agree with that i mean i think 
that I, I, I mean, I think I say is you don't want to see it as in you just, you would not, ra- you'd rather that thing never happened. Right. Right. But I think it's right. important. And that's, I think is what I, I go back to, you know, some of the parallels just between sort of this and Iraq is that, you know, there was so much back then that was felt filtered, especially as the kind of war, you know, waged on and and it was feeling a lot less noble, right? And, oh, you know, it was the, such there's... a weird time. Like, I felt like everything I was being told was was a lie. Like, I mean, it, from, it started yeah. from the beginning with the whole weapons of mass destruction thing. I felt like, you know, I felt like, the, you know, the people in Russia right now today must feel the way I felt during that war. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of, of propaganda that kind of fills, fits into this, and I think the media's role in in repeating it, it, it needs to be really, like, carefully considered at times like this. And I think it's, I think there's a lot of lessons learned from then that are being applied to now that I think make make for things that are a little bit better. But you're right, I think that there, there's, amount of, there's a massive amount of propaganda in these images that can, can be incredibly motivating, right? And... And I think it, you know, seeing, keeping in mind that the Russians are probably getting some weird version of that, you know, is, yeah, it's just so, it, it feels, it feels kind of scary, honestly. I think it, you know, it feels dystopian. Like, for me, that's what is so, sort of feels uncertain about everything, right? I think that's the kind of the key emotion I, I think I'm feeling keyed into right now is that just everything is uncertain. Like, we don't, you know, the, there's all these stories about, Ukraine, you know, heroically fighting it off, but you know, does it last for several weeks? Right? Does this turn from a heroic, you know, plucky fight to something much worse? Right? Well, and, I mean, and that's like in the time that it takes me to edit this podcast, everything could change. And I think that's what's so difficult about a time like this. You know, it just—if we could just go to sleep almost and, and wake up and find out how it all turned out, that would be great. But we can't, right? We got to live through these days and live through these times and. The, the, the thing that I think it feels really kind of optimistic about it all is that it does sort of harden our values, right? That there is a clear, you know, the, there's a force out there that, you know, is fighting for values that are, you know, against what we f- believe, right? The the freedom and and freedom of speech and, and you know, the freedom of basically self-determination is, is sort of at, fuels at stake here. And, and whether or not it is or isn't is, you know, we'll find out, right? But I think it... At least it doesn't matter if it really is or really isn't because it forces you to have that introspection and debate with yourself like yeah. what you care about. And I think and hopefully, you know, debate within our own political systems moving forward. Right. Yeah. I think this idea that, you know, there are increasing efforts to to crack down on speech, you know, at you know, I think the Ukraine situation should be a motivator when we look around and see people trying to ban books or or, you know, have crony politics or, or limit access to elections, right? I think those are all sort of things that we can look around and turn turn around and say, okay, well, we can get motivated in this. We can care about this. This is something that, you know, the bombs may never reach here, but, you know, the, the these ideas that we are worried about are already here, right? There's already people that are, are fighting on those sort of, uh, fighting for those sort of things, and I think we should take it really seriously, you know? I think that we should meet, you know, this sort of political action with our with political action, right? The reality is that we're not that far off from where Russia is today. One stolen election, and and we and it could be all, all it could all be over for us, right? We mm-hmm. could just have a dictator. 
in terms of what this does for our conception of what we are as a nation, I think that it hopefully shakes some rust off of things. You know, I think that there's people that get stuck in their own little like narrative battle and they get pigeonholed into defending things that they actually aren't so invested in and wouldn't actually be very good for them. And maybe this will pull some people's head out of the sand. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any more to add to that. I think we've I, I think we're I think if we keep talking about this we'll get into you know we'll, we're, we'll, yeah we're, we get we're too, teetering on the edge we'll get of, too far afield yeah. yeah but um you know I, any other big Alaskan things that happened this week that maybe got overlooked because of this international conflict it I mean it all sort of feels small and far away a little bit right yeah. I think that's I think it puts a lot of it in perspective for me at least is that you know I think. We get, yeah, we do get caught up in these, like, fights, but everything, all, like, all the sort of, like, pedantic little fights that we have every day sort of feel sort of somehow smaller by yeah. what's going on right now. Good talking to you, and uh, yeah. I really appreciate it. This is always a nice part of my week to sort of recap, and uh, if anyone who's listening uh, along with us has a thing that we should know about or talk about or be aware of you can reach us at hey guys at hello alaska.pizza which is a super easy email address to remember and uh and you can always call our hotline and leave a message uh it's find a pizza so dial uh just dial that into your phone find a pizza and you will be connected to our voicemail and we may use a little snip of your voice on our show so, uh, yeah, thanks a lot, and goodbye, Alaska. All right, goodbye. Goodbye.